cleverly, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Wednesday, the 2nd of December, 2020, and it is time, donks, ladies and gents, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from CBS Sports, Showtime, a bunch of other places. Uh, I am one half of your hosting duo. I am joined by a man who can also rep those places of work, as well as NBC Sports, which brings him to the left coast, the west coast. Some say the best coast. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great, Luke. I am quarantined, so I'm not seeing the sights of L.A. There'll be no hanging out with Javas or jerks for me, but I hear, not for you, though. Not for you, bro. A little bonus, a little bonus content this week, all right? I hear there's a little, there's a little birdie in my ear. We shall see, but uh, for now, we have bigger fish to fry. You are out there for, let's see, uh, Ring City, and the fights are not tonight. They are tomorrow. Are any fights of note for our audience's sake that they should pay attention to? Yeah, Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern, NBC Sports Network. Brandon the Cannon Adams, former Contender Season 5 winner, Boxino veteran, fought Jermall Charlo and lost that title opportunity. He'll be in the main event against late replacement Sonny Duverson. Uh, should be some good fights, and your boy, the beige one, on the call, along with Sean Porter and Bob Papa. So shout out to my bank account. <laughs> and also, how, are you in the same hotel? How's the setup from Jay in terms of the technology? Because as folks know, Wednesday is a no-Jay Wednesday but I think he did upgrade your travel kit. Is that right? Yes, yes, my man kit. Yes, it's 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 working up to this point. I do have that McDonald's Wi-Fi here at the uh, nondescript motel next to the wild card, but uh, I'm ready to rock and roll as long as this uh, feed allows it, Luke. And we are ready as, as MK uh, overlords to keep filling your in-hole with content. We're coming, Luke. Luke, we're coming. Your face whole, if such a thing exists. Uh, all right. Sort of standard disclaimer, thumbs up on the video. Hit the subscribe button. Always appreciate that when you do. S share this with a friend. By the way, we should tell folks, uh, if you are getting your Spotify sort of year in review, and we feature prominently on that, in particular number one, because I know some of you will, it'll be that case. But, you know, if we make your top five, send us a screenshot of it. Send us some evidence of it. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Let us know. You're listening. We might feature it somehow on social media and some other place, but we appreciate your patronage and we would like to thank you for it. So morningcombat at gmail.com if uh, Spotify tells you that you make morning combat a priority. Um, first things first there. Okay, with that out of the way as well, uh, if you want to try Showtime, you certainly can. 30 days for free. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. It's just a trial. No more, no less. You can go to Showtime.com for more information there. If you want some sweet swag, which I don't have in terms of clothing, but I do have in terms of mugs. Or see, I should say, um, I guess they call these tumblers. It's a glass. Morning Combat. And it's even got our names on the bitch. I don't know if this thing can catch it with the uh, autofocus or not. But there you go. Uh, Morning Combat. The glasses. Go to store.show.com. Um, yeah, Brian, am I forgetting anything? Morning combat, where the glass is always half full, okay? Thank you. Oh, yes, Thank we you. have the uh, documentary. Hey, when is your interview with the director for the Hector Camacho documentary coming out? I believe that publishes today. His name is Eric Drath, and he has a long history of providing fantastic boxing documentaries from the No Mas one to the Assault in the Ring one a few years back. This Macho uh, documentary is not only must-see, but the interview with Eric Drath has some 
Yeah, very incredible inside stories about rolling with the Camacho family, the investigation of the unsolved murder. Uh, the whole project altogether is A++, and I'm not just saying that. So shout out to uh, the Hector Camacho story, Eric Drath. Check out our bonus MK content this week, where you not only get that, Luke, you get interviews with Errol Spence Jr., Danny Garcia, Luke sitting down with Dustin Poirier. I'm telling you, Luke, they don't, they don't, they don't make shows like this. They really don't. That that nice. that is ready. I mean, I'm trying to get the band back together with the uh, with the MK Hardcore Bang Bros Boxing Club. I mean, we got, we got a lot of things on the iron, bro. Yeah, okay? what it's happened fantastic. to that? You did that for like two weeks in a row, and then I haven't seen it since. I've been busy, but you know, look, we, there's a lot of there's there's, there's plenty of room in the uh, MK uh, MK Nation for all of us, except for Jay, only on Mondays. So yes, that's great. fuck Jay, uh, for now and forever. Okay, well, with that in mind, let's get this party started. Five topics to start your Wednesday. We go first to the breaking news that I briefly addressed with a quick video that I put on the MK channel last night. Kamzat Shemaev will not be fighting Leon Edwards, at least not on December nineteenth. The fight is falling through now. Want to be clear about this. Here's why it fell through. Leon Edwards contracted COVID. So they're not going to be fighting on the 19th. What we don't know is if they're going to try and make that fight at a later date, which they commonly do when there's this kind of an issue. That's been the sort of, I won't say they do it every time, but you know they'll push it back three weeks a month or whatever and then still try and make that fight. That may still take place. And the good news is the card is still very stacked. And Ariel Hawani from ESPN, who was the one who reported the news, also reported UFC is kind of eyeing Wonderboy versus Jeff Neal as your Ooh. replacement main event, which would be great. It's a fantastic fight. Uh, again, not sure what the details on that uh, yet are. UFC has not made it official. So those are the basics. UFC on Vegas 17 main event falling through, blah, blah, blah. I gave my quick piece on it last night, BC. We go to you first. What is your overall takeaway of this news? Uh, the ship be sinking here, Luke, from the idea of keeping fights together for COVID. It's not just the succession of UFC main events, which has now lost somebody to COVID seemingly every week. I mean, I don't know if you saw that PBC on Fox card with uh, Julian J-Rock Williams' return December 26th just got canned because J-Rock has the COVID as well. Uh, it's getting out of control here, Luke, and specifically this fight was going to tell us a lot. And, you know, there's people trying to make a, a back alley argument that Kamzat Shemaev could be your fighter of the year if he wins for, what, a fifth time and, and keeps climbing the ladder. I mean, there was a lot you wanted and needed to see. Obviously, the health of the fighters is going to uh, take pre preeminence. And we did talk about it on Monday's show, sort of the idea like, what do we do? Do we build a we build a tighter bubble? How do we fix this? But Luke, I I went to the interwebs. I you ever hear of a guy, famous laptop stealer and jujitsu practitioner, Jake Shields? Did you happen oh. to see his tweet, Luke? Laptop stealer? No, I thought you were going to say Hunter Biden. But uh, yes, I know Jake does not. I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he does not seem as alarmed about COVID as others. Well, he said, "Quote Luke, it. it's amazing no fighters have died yet with how deadly this virus is." Uh, don't don't ask for that. Don't don't be asking for that. Okay. All <laughs> yeah. right? we're, we're just trying to keep main events together here, bro. Okay. Yeah. You know what's interesting about this BC is I, we'll talk about it in just a second. But I uh, obviously it's on the MK channel. I interviewed Dustin Poirier. I actually started the interview asking him like, "You're a prize fighter in a huge bout in January. What does a guy like you do to mitigate it?" And his answer was, I think, as fair as you could possibly give, which is. I mean, I'm obeying the rules. I go out in public, I put a mask on. You know, if I'm not at the grocery store, I'm training. If I'm not training and I'm not at the grocery store, I'm at home. Like, he's not out there socializing. You know, he's not out there uh, taking unnecessary risks. But he is taking risks in the sense we see that the guy's got to train. And his training partners are, you know, it's a small circle. But who knows what kind of life they're living. Which is to say, BC, 
Dustin Poir, I mean, the only way to do more than he's doing is to have significant financial resources to test everyone and to have, you know, some kind of a dorm where everyone lives together and blah, blah, blah. You know, this is very, very difficult to do. And uh, if not impossible for the overwhelming, I mean, maybe McGregor could do it. And that's really about it on the MMA side. So, like, what is a guy like that supposed to do? He is obeying all the rules. And yet when you think about it, dude, that's not much to keep yourself safe from getting COVID. Now, understand, we're not saying if Dustin gets COVID, the world has ended. That's not the claim we're making, although certainly I wouldn't wish it upon him because, again, we don't know a whole lot about this stupid-ass virus. But it is enough to scuttle your fight. All you got to do is test positive, man. That's it. And the whole thing comes undone. And it's like, dude... This is different than March and April where we know we didn't know a whole lot and it was mostly a function of you know, New York, uh, that, that what they call the Acela Corridor, everyone from D.C. to, to uh, Boston and New York uh, especially. That was really where everything was getting kind of heavy hit. And then, you know, now it's spread everywhere, right? So, and you're, we had, dude, there's 100,000 Americans hospitalized with this shit. I know people don't want to talk about it, but here's the deal. I'm not necessarily worried, uh, to Jake Shields' point, about any individual one fighter's health, although I don't think we should, you know, totally discount that. But if all that has to happen is you test positive for it and it's spread far and wide and there's not really much you can do without significant financial resources to stop it, it's like, dude, this is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, BC, I don't know what the future holds, but just it stands to reason this is going to get way worse before it gets better, I think. Yeah. Look, separate from the fighter's health, which is obviously, like you mentioned, paramount. And, and we hope nobody gets, you know, I mean, look, the, the details of what Leon Edwards uh, that went through, I believe it was uh, Ariel or Brett that put it out there on, on ESPN on Twitter of like, you know, losing 12 pounds. And really, I mean, look, he, you know, Leon Edwards went through the ringer with covid Although it seems like a lot of fighters are, you know, asymptomatic or, or just, you know, they're young, they're in great shape, they're beating it. Separate from the health, though, the long-term effects of what this second wave might have on on the fight sports we love will be interesting. Because, I mean, look, even this NBC Sports show that I'm at, uh, unbeaten Sergei Boachuk was supposed to be in the main event in this, in this fight. The hardcores were waiting for, and he got the COVID, and he's out. And, you know, I think you're going to see... Uh, what they're doing here, what Showtime's been doing, a lot of, you know, UFC's been doing, you're going to see a lot more, Luke, of trying to protect the main and Kona main events by paying guys to train or, or, or loading the undercard up with potential guys who can repair it. Now, certainly that, in a short-term sense, is a Band-Aid, is a good backup. But I think, uh, to the question you gave Poirier, it's going to be interesting whether this eventually ends up affecting the, the fighters' preparation and the quality of fights. It's a topic, Luke, that we talked about a lot in May when UFC first came back. And it's like, you know, did you get the same access in the gym to the sparring partners you're used to? Uh, where, you know, some guys were saying, I trained in my garage the whole time. I think we went back to some form of normalcy over the summer and fall. Now, Luke, you wonder if with everything pulling back, I mean, just mm-hmm. for me in this hotel, the, the security uh, standards are out of control. You can't even, you know, leave your room. There's a security guard waiting for you, which is understandable and all things considered. Meals delivered to you. Um, you know, you can't even leave the room. But uh, what are we going to do, though, Luke, if this starts affecting people's ability to, to properly prepare? Will you see more big-name fighters pull back and be like, I'm going to take another six-month, nine-month break until we can figure this out? Yeah, it's a great, I hadn't even thought about that because I just sort of gotten into autopilot on the training. But it's a, it's a totally fair point. So let me bring up a, sort of a different question here, okay? Obviously, we hope Leon's okay and everyone else who has had this and will get it. But do you want to see them rebook the fight in short order? I mean, I don't know how quickly Leon Edwards can make a turnaround if COVID, COVID hammered him that badly. 
But is the because here's the thing: Neil Magny was on Twitter last night, being like, "Dude, I'll I'll fight Kamzat on December nineteenth. No problem. Five rounds, not an issue for me." Is that the direction where you go, or do you still retain this particular pairing? I'd like to retain it because the beauty of this fight was that there was you know sort of equal opportunities for both to really cash in. Now, in theory, Kamzat could face any credible, you know upper middle class welterweight for us to still learn what we need to learn so if it's not leon edwards and it's neil magny or if it's whoever else yeah we can still get it out of it but for leon edwards who was the you know the bridesmaid at the altar in the title picture luke this was uh you know we originally joked about it remember we originally said uh hey if you're leon and you really want to make a splash go beat the the boss's boy toy go call out kamza and and you know parachute your way into the title picture for real there was legit opportunity in there for him to make a monster splash with a win and maybe cut the portions of the title line he'd been shut out on so it really depends on how much it took out of him. I mean, we saw Luke Campbell in the boxing match with Ryan Garcia get COVID. They rescheduled that three months or three weeks later. Excuse me, it's going to be January second now. Looks like we're all good. If you can tell me, Luke, that we can push this off to mid-January, you know, very little harm, no foul. Let's make it happen because I feel like on both sides, it was a very interesting matchup that was going to tell us a lot. Yeah, that's a fair point. I would I, again, I I uh, I would prefer to see them retain it. But I hope that they can retain it in relatively short order. I just don't know um, how likely that is. And the last point that I think that this raises, and Sean Alshadi brought this up, but you brought it up as well. Um, again, to me, Kamzat Shemaev, well, what he, if, let's say he had beaten Edwards. I mean, that would have been an unbelievable year. But if Figueredo comes back, and again, no COVID issues, and is able to get his fight off and wins here next month, and again, these are very much speculative, but let's just say that he does. That basically locks him up for fighter of the year. I don't know who would be in contention. Some people may have had one singular win on the MMA side that may have been more impressive, but we're talking about a body of work, what somebody did. If Figueredo crosses that finish line with his hand raised against Moreno, now that Kamzat Shemaev is certainly, it seems like, out of the running, and even then, because one was a championship fighter and one wasn't, maybe it wasn't all that close. I'm just saying, even if there was competition, it's falling away pretty quickly this is the year, out of nowhere, it seems like, BC, of Devison Figueredo. Oh, absolutely. And let, let's get a couple things straight here. The Kamzat argument was a hipster one. He can't win fighter of the year, even with a win over Edwards, even with a, you know, look, this is newcomer of the year stuff. Yes, could he enter the discussion in the ballot? Yes. But I don't like when people make certain hipster arguments. Remember when Cowboy won like five times in a year a couple years ago and people were like, man, that could be fighter of the year. No, it's not. Like, he had a great year. And it's the same argument, Luke, for me of why I'm still upset, even though in reality it doesn't matter, no, that Jorge Masvidal won it last year. Amazing year last year. But I thought Israel Adesanya, I mean, let me, let me be uh, Kanye West here and interrupt Taylor Swift and tell you, Israel Adesanya had one of the greatest years in MMA history last year and somehow was pushed to number two. So here's how I think it plays out now. And I love the Fighter of the Year debates. And yes, this year is a weird one. If Figueredo doesn't fight again, he wins it. I think he's got the best body of evidence right now. He's got a great body on top of that. So uh, <laughs> if he wins, though, Luke, he's nailed it. If he loses, though... I think it opens the door back up for Adesanya. I mean, there are a couple other fighters with a small case, but I thought Adesanya got screwed last year. I think he's the second best resume this year, you know, with Romero and with uh, destroying Costa. And, you know, I know the Romero because I scored it against him, right? So it's certainly that's part of the debate against Izzy winning it. But uh, imagine if Izzy next year fights like, you know, Whitaker again and Jones. I mean, look, you, you could, this, this could be his time. This could be his era. 
unless Figueredo goes out there and beats Moreno, or unless he catches the COVID. Because, Luke, I think right now he's your clubhouse leader. Who are we missing, Luke? I know Stipe had one big win, but I don't want to. Yeah. Who are we missing? We're missing somebody. All right, it's a good question. I'm going to pull it up here because, honestly, on the boxing side, we talked about this. Uh, Teofimo Lopez has just the one win, but it's such a monumental win that there's just no way to deny that he is, if not the winner of that consideration, he is at the very top of it. So let's go through 2020 here. Oh, Jan, Jan Blachowicz, Luke, is the other one in this category. Okay. I would have said um, if Justin Gaethje had beaten Habib, you would have said Justin Gaethje, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, so I'm trying to think here. Like, uh, Who else would it have been? Amanda Nunes had a nice win, but that wasn't really no. enough. No. Curtis Blades was doing some good work, but I don't know if that would have put him in, in a fighter of the year contender. No, it, look, it goes back to the Masvidal debate. If you, someone's winning titles and defending them and doing big, that, it's, it's, it means more. It really does. Yeah, Calvin Cater uh, you know, is going to ha- have a good year, but he's not really in contention for it. Usman had the nice win in the sense that he beat a top-level guy, but has Jan not had really one big built win. upon it. Peotre had one big one, but I think Blahowitz, when you package together, Luke, the uh, the Corey Anderson with the, the upset title win, I think that's your number three. Yeah, it could be. It could be. There's not really a standout. A lot of the guys who had multiple wins and multiple fights are sub-championship um, fighters, at least right now in their career. And there's been a bunch of them, like, a, um, like Zalal has had, you know, I think four, four wins or so in this year. Um, but... In terms of elite, super, like who's fighting the very best all the time? Yeah, it's not. It's not really a runaway until you get to Devison Figueredo. And again, if he beats Moreno, it's like that's your dude. That's that's the guy. So it's interesting that UFC has had such a strong year, all things considered, and yet your standout performer is in the least coveted male weight class. Yeah, you give that man four times to get finishes, and he gets finishes in all four and, and waves that swag flag around. I'm going to give it to him. Luke, do you hold the Romero fight against Adesanya in this argument? Not like other people do. Not like other people do. I, I tend to think that, look, was it – so Adesanya wins, and I thought he won, I won't say comfortably, but without controversy. Uh, controversy in the sense of who's the rightful winner. I mean, it was a boring fight. I, I, even Adesanya would tell you that. Um the way I look at it is I don't count it uh, certainly against Adesanya. I do count it for him, but I don't count it for him very emphatically because the way you beat top opposition also matters. So getting the W is the most important consideration. But if you're evaluating two fighters, let's say, who both have similar records, one's 20-0, and 0, the other one's 20-0, and 0. one's defended this title five times, and one's defended this title five times. So then how do you separate the two, if at all possible? You have to look at how well they did against those opposition. And if one guy has decisions, including splits in there, and the other one has, you know, second, third, first round finishes, you have to give the nod to the person, provided they are, you know, reasonably similar levels of difficulty in terms of the strength of schedule, you got to give it to the guy that did the better work. Now, obviously, I'm not comparing Adesanya in any one particular regard here to another uh, uh, fighter. I'm just saying you got to give him the credit for the win. He's got the tick over Yoel Romero, but that it was so lackluster and that it wasn't particularly exciting, and less than being exciting, it just was not dominant. I think that's pretty clear. It was not at all dominant. That uh, lowers the overall value of what it could be. That's how I look at it. That's fair. That's very fair. I mean, look, you don't see a lot of people lining up to Romero, and you don't see a lot of people dominating him. So uh, at the end of the day, I scored it against Izzy, but that's that. 
It may be boring, but it ain't an awful win, Luke. Okay, people aren't trying to fight that guy, so uh, you know it doesn't. I don't think it really counts against him so much. But roll on, Luke. Roll on. All right. Okay? So with that out of the way, let's get now to we talked about Dustin Poirier. I spoke to him yesterday. The video is up on the uh, the YouTube channel now. I think some articles are going to go up for it on CBS Sports. We're looking forward to those. But for the time being, BC, um, he made a comment about the interim title, and here's what he hey. said. Yeah, we got it. We got it. Do you know that we have it? Oh, I didn't know that we had it. So let's let's yeah. let's set this up here. Um, I asked him a series of questions about it. Like, you know, if if listen, if Habib is not in the picture anymore, yeah, it should probably be for a title when he fights Connor in January. But let's assume a world where that doesn't happen. Would you want to fight for the interim title? This is basically what he says. If they de- if they decide for whatever reason that Habib's going to stay and compete, which God only knows what's going to happen at this point. But let's say that that's what actually does happen. Should there be an interim belt for your fight? Do you want an interim belt? Unless Khabib is uh, taking, you know, a lot of time away from the sport, I don't think an interim belt should be introduced. You know, there, there's already been two in the lightweight division. Khabib's unified both times that their interim champ was uh, introduced. No, there's been three. Tony was the interim champ as well, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh I think the division needs clarity and needs a undisputed world champion. And there's no reason for that unless Khabib is out for a long time. If he's retired, then then two two guys have to fight. The next two guys in line need to fight for the belt. If, if he's not retired, you know, it, it has to be in the next five, six months, right? The guy can't take a year off between fights. BC, I couldn't hear a word of that, but I'm I'm wondering if you could. And either way, your reaction to him basically saying, "You know what? I'm not I'm not super interested in an interim title." Yeah, I have no idea if the public heard it either. Hopefully, they did. And if they didn't, please check it out. It's a fantastic interview from the professor there. Very good stuff. Um, hell yeah. F the interim title, Luke. F the BS. I love it when Justin Gaethje took that belt and threw it down. I love these type of emphatic statements where. It's BS, and I know you're in, look, what we didn't show there was your response, which was an educated one, about, well, doesn't it bring you more pay? Isn't there a plus for a fighter to want to get into the interim business? And while he did eventually, you know, bow down to that and say, yes, if you're telling me I can get more money going the interim route, of course I'm going to do it. But I love his foundation and principle, and when any fighter does this, that's just a trinket. That's just part of the process. The real thing is the championship. I want the championship. If Habib is still going to fight in some form, why would we have an interim championship? You make one when you need one. We don't need one right now. I love that attitude. I love everything about, really, let's be honest here. I love everything about who Dustin Poirier has uh, has evolved to become, not just as a fighter, but Luke, even more as a, a man, a father, a... a a more evolved sportsman. And, you know, you had some really interesting questions in there about how much there is to learn as a fighter as you mature and how you're never ending. You're constantly learning, but just how much we maybe as viewers in, in uh, don't understand how much there is to master from planning a training camp to planning a weight cut to, you know, I mean, like there's there's so many layers and levels to this game. He is certainly in a fantastic spot, not just the run he had before the Habib fight, but coming back and beating Hooker the way he did. It was very interesting to hear how that that machine inside his head works and and, and takes us all in. But yes, for the sake of the interim title, Luke, I know that that's the way Dana gets them paid. I hate it. 
Shane Carwin's not my UFC heavyweight champion. Carlos Condit was never my UFC welterweight champion. It's a trinket, all right? So don't make it a belt. Make it a gold jacket or a ring or, a, or, or something or a sock on a cock that says, I got next. That's fine because that's all that really means, Luke. But I like where he's going with it right here. How much do you feel like your background in covering boxing all these many years? I mean, I, I don't think that the position you adopt is in any way like controversial or the not the norm. I think most people would probably agree. Like, do we really need an interim title? Like, we probably don't. So I think in that sense, it's quite mainstream. But what I mean to say is I have noticed that when you get guys who uh, – and you are 50-50 at this point. But when you know your career historically has been predominantly covering boxing – you see, you talk to those guys about the interim titles and how rare they are, relatively speaking, to boxing. They love that. They love that there's very little uh, a part of it. They love that you hardly ever see it. They love when fighters, to your point, like Gaethje, take it off and say that's not for real. I see a lot of that on boxing Twitter and boxing Instagram. Do you feel like that colors your perspective at all? Yeah. It, look, you ever grow I didn't specifically, but you ever grow up in an alcoholic house? You come out of there not wanting to uh to, to play with the sauce. And I grew up in this uh in this bastardized environment of the boxing political structure where they will make a damn belt for anything, Luke. But they don't tell the people that the frontline old guy Black Lives Matter championship doesn't really matter. And they don't tell the people that there's four lightweight champions in the WBA right now. Yeah, I don't want any of that bullshit to come to UFC and um, you know, my argument was always, if it gets you more money that way, well, can't Dana just pay you more in a number one contenders fight? Cause that's really what it is all about. But yes, the, the UFC Zufa, their success for Tita's and Dana was in building something that was the opposite of their dying favorite sport, right? That was, so it's like, why, why are we going back in that direction? In terms of the rest of the interview from him, I, he had a, a, a quote in there. I uh, hope he can share it at some point later, which was, he's not looking for a lighter load. He's looking for a stronger back. It really resonated with me. I mean, this, the thing I took away from this... It, it, yeah, don't, don't use your water bottle there, guy. Uh, that's what this, the producer says. But my, my point, BC, is that my lesson from this interview was, I don't know if Poirier is going to beat McGregor. I, you know, It's hard to know like what state McGregor is going to be in. Assuming he's in any kind of state relative to the abilities as we know it, he is a handful generally and especially early. He's so good. He's dialed right in from the word go. And, and Poirier takes a little bit of time to get going. I mean, it's not quite right to call him a slow starter, but his early rounds are not necessarily um, against the better opposition, sometimes his better rounds. So, you know, there's a real question to be asked about whether he can win this fight at all. But what I will say is if he's going to win it, I do think now is the time. His level of maturity and understanding what makes him tick, what the ingredients are of success, how to thread those needles, he has come around a lot. And I feel like uh, listening to him that, um, you know, again, we don't know if he's going to hide an injury or whatever, but BC, I, I felt like from this one, you're definitely going to get a different fight. I just, I mean, Connor oh, yeah. may get his hand raised again, but this idea that Dustin's going to go in there and just get run over in, you know, two minutes or something, I don't buy it. Well, Luke, Dustin doesn't admit to it. It doesn't cop to it anymore in interviews. Uh, and he didn't in your interview. He didn't really take the bait. But McGregor owned him mentally in that first fight. And I think out of, out of there are reasons why the fight went that way. Connor was better at featherweight. And he was at a, a point of just rising with every performance that he was an unstoppable train. But also, Poirier cutting down to, to featherweight didn't have the same level of uh, punch resistance. So those are foundational elements as to why that 
fight went the way it did, Luke. But also, he got on his damn head. I mean, he owned him, as you you know, correctly laid out in the other instances in which Conor has done that to Alvarez, to whom, I mean, to everybody, basically. Uh, even at times with Nate, even though Nate is sort of, you know, pre-naturally uh, wired to not let that bother him. So I, I respect and love Poirier's responses, even the, the illustration of taking a piece of paper, drawing a circle, and trying to just put in the middle of there the things he can control in a fight camp and not worrying about the rest. Love that. And I love the veteran response of, you know, I don't care about the trash talk game, blah, blah, blah. But I do wonder, Luke, um, it's one thing to say that. But it's also another thing to get into a camp against Conor McGregor. Now, we don't know if Conor's going to be the featherweight madman he was back then or if this is the more mature cowboy Cerrone level camp of Conor who was more like giving praise to people and, and being redemptive. Either way, it is one thing, I think, Luke, to say I've evolved past being subject to that. I'm more mature. And another thing to execute it because that is one thing Conor does great unless you believe, Luke, that the magic is gone from what what the mental side of the Connor attack used to mean. Yeah, there's a big question of if Connor doesn't play those mind games anymore. We don't know if he will or he won't. It's still a little bit too early to tell. But to the extent, and also, by the way, COVID might help Dustin Poirier in that sense, where there is no big fight week. They're not going to have, you know, um, at, the, at the Figueredo pay-per-view, they're not going to have, to our knowledge, I guess we'll have to see, BC, but my hunch is they're not going to have a press conference that day for the media, certainly not for the fans, with the next pay-per-view's headliners. You know how they used to do that um, at the beginning of this year and in the end of last year, you know, to set up the next pay-per-view where there's all these fighters on stage and the fans are screaming. You know, you get chewed up at those kinds of things. In fact, during the interview, I had referenced, you know, RDA getting chewed up by Connor. I don't think a lot of fans realized RDA was the original opponent for Connor at UFC 196 before he fell out and they substituted in Nate Diaz. And when they had that press conference, you had RDA in a very conventional suit saying very conventional things. You had Connor showing up intentionally looking like Pablo Escobar and just from a verbal standpoint, eating him alive, right? Just going after him. It was a, it was a thing to behold. Because of COVID, BC, and again, we don't know what choices Connor's going to make, but certainly because of that, you don't have to deal with that anymore. You don't have, at least not, not nearly point. as much. Maybe on Fight Week at Fight Island, have to deal with some of it. But not a lot, dude. It's not a big deal like it used to be. And so I really wonder if Connor either doesn't choose those weapons anymore or doesn't have them as readily available, what does that do to the fighting itself where we have believed for the longest time that the mental aspect played a key component in his wins? I still believe he's talented enough, again, if he has retained his abilities, um, to beat most of the elite 155ers but it's a serious open question and i don't know it's the wild. answer to it i mean it's wild and this is a debate that only really happens with somebody like connor who has had that kind of level of fame and left the sport for so long i mean we're talking about a guy luke who had has had two lightweight fights two luke two lightweight fights and they were years apart and they were both title fights and i know that there's a lot of people who are, you know, as you always say, there's there's people who believe he's Jesus, and then there's people who think he's always sucked and is never good. But the people that are very critical of him, they quickly always point out, you know, like, do we even know if he has legitimate lightweight power? Meaning, like, legitimate get you out of there like he did at featherweight. Yes, he threw a absurd four-punch combination and just bedazzled Eddie Alvarez. But, you know, we only learned so much from the the uh, Habib fight in which he got, you know, dragged down and gassed out and he had no zip on his punches, even in that round that he won, it seemed like, Luke. So 
It's hard to tell. I mean, look, if, if the mental games mean nothing, and I think you laid out why it might, mixed with the maturity of Dustin, even though I just gave a disclaimer that it's one thing to say you're mature and another thing to deal with a guy like that. If this fight is more about just the damn fights, yeah, you got to favor Poirier in this one. And I think that's a big part of why we need to see this. Uh, Want to get them both in their own particular solo COVID bubble and just say, train in there, eat in there, crap in there. Don't leave because we need you. Yeah. We need you. We yeah, and the you. good news is Poirier said he's going to go to Fight Island even earlier than before. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can get there unscathed, and then once he gets there, I'm, I'm I'm pretty confident he'll be fine for the for the duration of his of his stay. All right, topic number three, BC, and this is one where again, this is why I like this show, BC. Well, I like the show for many reasons. One, it pays my bills, but two, you know, we try to treat boxing uh, seriously here. We we take it seriously on the show. Obviously, it's a much bigger part of your background than mine, but I'm trying to make it part of my future in a much more full-throated way. And this is where having a little bit of knowledge on either side of the game comes in handy. Clarissa Shields, who is the, would you call her the best female boxer alive, BC? Maybe Katie Taylor, I guess, is somewhere in yeah, that conversation. in the discussion. In the discussion, we'll leave yeah. that. Yeah. So certainly, she is a premier, if not the premier talent, on the women's side of the game. She has signed with the Professional Fighters League on the MMA side of things. Um, I guess to fight at 145 pounds. BC, what can you tell us about Clarissa Shields, the boxer, first? And then second, given those facts, how you think she might do in signing with the PFL? And we'll we'll unpack everything through that conversation. Look, this, this is big news in a lot of ways. I, I want to tip the cap to an organization I don't always speak awesomely of the PFL. This is a fun signing. It's very interesting because, Luke, and I'm going to answer your question shortly, it's one thing for somebody like Shields to say, I'd be willing to do a big MMA match. And in, in our idea, it's sort of a you know celebrity crossover one-off. It's one thing to say, well, you know, what if she boxed Cyborg? Like, all those things are just curiosity. It's another thing to say, no, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm making a legitimate move into mixed martial arts. Give me a year of step-up fights, and then let's see 2022, you know, where I stand among the big names and the champions there, whether it's a Kayla Harrison, a, a Cyborg, or whoever she can get in with. So let's break this down. Um, she's an incredible athlete. Let's say that first and foremost. I, right. uh, women's boxing only gives you two-minute rounds rather than three, so there are a lot of people who believe that has robbed from the potential of getting more knockouts. When you look at Clarissa Shields' boxing record, unbeaten, has won titles in so many different weight classes and unified and became undisputed. I mean, in, in such a short time, yet doesn't have a lot of stoppages. So I think that's telling you, Luke, she's not a crushing one-punch knockout puncher. It's just not. But she's big, quick, athletic. Do you remember her big fight on Showtime against Christina Hammer that was hyped up for a few years? Mm -hmm. When that finally became a fight, it wasn't one because Shields was so far ahead of Hammer, who was a decorated champion in Germany for like a decade, uh, in terms of everything. IQ, carrying out of a game plan, and again, the athleticism. And I think that's what separates her from everybody else in boxing. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. I mean, she is the real deal when it comes to her fighting heart and her knowledge of this game. But the real question is, how does that change to MMA? Now, look, um, there's certain things, Luke, she's got to get over. She's got to be able to stop takedowns. She's got to be able to absorb kicks to the you know leg, like, like little foundational things that doesn't that that allows her to feel comfortable and want to do this. In her favor, Luke, she's 25, so this is still you know early enough to 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 do this. And you would think that they're going to be smart and really try to match her in the type of fights that can not expose her, but allow her to keep going deeper into the water to figure it out. Um, until we know whether her 
ground game and ability to do some of the foundational aspects beyond punching are have bright potential or are going to stay remedial, it's really hard to try to gauge. But I think the advantage she'll have, Luke, over the other women, remember we saw um, Heather Hardy, Anna Houlton, uh decorated female boxers who made the move, and obviously Holly Holmes, the biggest one. But um, in, in what she has that they don't is youth, age, real athleticism, and again, just a, a, a mind and, and spirit for this, you know? So if she dedicates herself completely, and just so you know, she did say in subsequent interviews to Brett Okamoto that um, she doesn't want to lose her belt in boxing. So she will stay busy fighting. She wants to fight three to four times in boxing to keep all her mandatories going and fit in two to three MMA fights. Um, it's ambitious, but she does keep a busy schedule. But Luke, I can't sit here and tell you we have a future champion on our hands the proof will be in the pudding, as Floyd says. And yes, I'm excited for every step of the way, Luke, to see what she has and how she might be able to evolve. You love that. You love that. Uh, you know, Floyd's thing works because you can kind of use pudding as a, you know, it's a clever play on words. It's a lot better than Emmett Smith when he tried to be a Monday Night Football commentator. You remember that? When he would yes. accuse teams who lose of getting blowed out and things like that. It didn't quite work that well, did it? Uh I find this story to be fascinating the more you think about it. On a surface level, you're like, okay, that's kind, of, that's kind of quirky. But then when you really begin to dig into the details, BC, it's very interesting. Which is, I want to say this. The thing that I think is absolutely unassailable about Clarissa Shields is one thing you were very clear to emphasize just now, which is her athletic prowess. Her athletic prowess cannot be challenged. She is very, very, very elite in that regard. I think whether she is competing in boxing or in MMA, PFL or any other organization, honestly, if she was signed to the UFC, would she be the best 145-pound pure athlete? Is she a better pure athlete than Amanda Nunes? She might be, just in pure athletic terms, right? However, one wants to measure that. Obviously, she's like not even close to the overall MMA fighter. It would be you know, irresponsible to even suggest such a thing. But in terms of just athletic talents, she is on that level, if not exceeding it. So I think that is clear. The thing to me that is not a, a foregone conclusion, though, is how she translates. So on the one hand, the change in boxing gloves, and I, I think the one thing that, that promoters and regulators get wrong on the women's side of things is they, get, they make their boxes too big, uh, uh, their gloves too big. Women's boxing gloves should be six ounces, in my opinion. Here she's going to get down to four ounces. What is that going to do for her punching power? It can only improve it. But if you actually watch her box, I'm not going to say she doesn't hit hard, but being a power puncher is not her defining quality. She has a very educated and consistent jab. She has good timing on her counters. Um, she knows when to attack and when to defend in terms of the overall strategy through the rounds. But she's not some kind of like, you know, she doesn't have Amanda Nunes punching power, at least um, relative to her own sport. Again, we'll see how it translates to MMA. But like this idea that because you're a boxer, you automatically hit hard. Power punching is different than boxing. They can intersect, but they're not the same thing. And I think that is not an obvious uh, thing that people should just assume. The other one is, BC, fair, true or false, she is the best boxer to try MMA in terms of both their ability and then doing it in their prime. Because James Tony is, you know, just one of the all-time greats, but he was so far past his prime, it didn't matter. Clarissa Shields, to your point, is 25. So is that a true statement? I want to build on it. Well, I mean, Holly Holm was, was, was a very good boxer, right? Very good. Okay, but, uh, but, yes, but Clarissa yes. Shields, gold medalist in the Olympics. I mean, we're yes, talking about pedigree point, all the way through. 
And one other part about Clarissa Shields that, that is a plus to her, Luke. I think you're right. You, you're right. This this the, this is the most uh, decorated, talented person to make that move. But Clarissa Shields turned pro at 168 in one titles. Now she's coming down to 54 was her recent. She's talking about moving down to welterweight in boxing if she can, which which would tie into fighting at featherweight potentially, 145 in women's MMA. Somebody that's been able to do it over different weight classes and in different you know body types. She's a true great fighter so we'll see if that ta- translate but i think your point is right this is probably in the age is the the age is the key luke the age really is the key where is. there is time if she shows promise in those certain foundational aspects that we talked about you know trying ground game for the first time being able to do some of those things you know kicks and knees that there is room to improve and you know we'll, we'll still be honest here even though women's mma has evolved exceptionally from where it started uh it's still centered largely around straw weight and sometimes bantam weight i mean 145 they're just not a deep pool so that right. you know if she can get good quick uh you know there's no she, look you want somebody who's an athlete and is smart and she's got that but she's got a fighting spirit i mean she's tough as nails luke and she's going to need that eventually in the cage when somebody's got her down going for a choke and it's a it's a real fight I think that there's elements to her fighting spirit that haven't fully been quenched in the boxing realm that if it's as real as I think it is, could really blossom in MMA where it is more about a grapple and a fight than just throwing hands. All right, so here's the the, the thing that, again, I am not declaring to you these are reasons to say there won't be success. I am merely identifying some markers that remain somewhat unknown, and we just don't know what the answer will be, positive or negative, until we get more information. One is the punching power. Again, I think it'll be improved, but hard to say exactly how much. That's the first. The second thing I'd say is while she has that pedigree, Holly Holm had kickboxing experience before she ever tried MMA. Why is that relevant? Because in MMA, fighters stand further apart than they do in boxing. That enabled Holly Holm to keep people at range when they wanted to take her down. That enabled her to like use a wider variety of rep weapons. That is not going to be available, at least immediately, in terms of the ease of things to Clarissa Shields. It's something to keep in mind. It's not as obvious as people think it is. And uh, it should be, or at least you should take it seriously because that actually, I think, really aided. If I can fight at range and one, you have to cover more distance. That's going to make my takedown defense, which is probably not very good, a little bit better because I have to use it less. And also, hello, kicking is maybe Holly Holmes' best weapon. I mean, that's just really reality there. Clarissa Shields doesn't have those things. But the other part about this conversation, BC, is something she told, I think, The Athletic, which is that she said boxing is a sexist sport. And that's why she's leaving. They don't like the way that they're paid. She doesn't like the way that they're promoted. She doesn't like the way that they're talked about. And she feels that MMA is a oasis in the desert. I got news for her. (laughs) I mean, she's got a point about the paychecks and some other things, no doubt about it. But I don't know that it's like some progressive alternative to the sexist boxing world. I, I see her point. Even though we're going through a mini women's boxing renaissance right now, it's on TV more than it has been in years. You got the Katie Taylors. You got, you know, uh, there's some good fight. There's actually some really good fighters out there. Um, at the same time, she is right. It's still looked at as an attraction. They don't get the, the promotion or the, or the money on that level unless you are a Shields or a Katie Taylor. Um, and in MMA, it's, it's, it's normalized. It's, you know, women's fighting is legitimate and normal and everything else. So, um, you know, that's what led people in the past when we we're talking about Heather Hardy or Anna Hulitz and going to Bellator, the bigger paychecks. And um, 
I, I don't think it's wrong what she said. And I think it plays into, again, her attitude of wanting to be the best and the greatest. She calls herself the GWOAT. We can all agree that G-W-O-A-T is one of the worst things we ever heard anybody come up with, Luke. The greatest woman of all time in terms yeah, of just sucks. acronyms there. It's lame. But her point is well taken. I always loved about her that she's got this chip on her shoulder and this passion to prove herself and to prove that her fighting sport is legitimate, that she's always called out the best, has always been willing, as I said, to go to different weight classes. And now her goal, Luke, seems to be become the first to hold a major boxing title and a major mixed martial arts title at the same time. You couldn't ask for anything more from somebody trying, and while there, yes, there's probably financial implications of why she wants to do this, you couldn't ask for anything more from somebody who's calling themselves great and then is going out of their way to try to prove it. And again, at just 25, if she can make this a career, we could be talking about the kind of fighting career we haven't seen yet in terms of being able to cross over back and forth on that extreme high level. Um, this could be long-term, you know, a monster move from her in terms of maximizing her legacy, which again is something we don't talk about enough because everybody is so much more about the money. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, that I want to push back on her and you in terms of this argument like, oh, MMA is, you know, it's got more progressive attitudes about women. Well, it does. I mean, yes, okay, and that on that surface level examination that is true you do see a lot more hospitable attitudes towards the participation of women and their marketability inside mma than you do in boxing well i mean can i just say this out loud women's boxing is not especially exciting in fact it's usually fucking boring women's mma is not i mean there's something to be wow. said about hold on let me make a point here there's something to you be want, said you about want her to make you a sandwich too luke no listen to me listen to me it's got nothing to do this is what i'm trying to tell folks Men's and women's gymnastics, for example, are not the same. They don't do they do some of the same stuff, but there's a lot of differentiation because they figured out there's ways to make the different body types and the physical capabilities uh, work for different ends. The men do the iron rings, for example. Uh, there is again the pommel horse and the, some other things are 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 um, are uh, uh, there's an overlap there. But the women have some of their own individual events. Here's what I'm trying to get across. What the, what the insight is of MMA is that when you let uh, the full breadth of someone's athletic talents shine, women's game in MMA is, is phenomenal to watch. In many cases, as good, if not better, than the men's. But if you just want to make it about what boxing can provide under a limited set of rules, particularly with heavier gloves, the punching power isn't there nearly as often. Of course, there's some depth of talent issues as well. But what I mean to say is they have it to me figured out the proper rule set and including glove size on the women's side of boxing to make it as exciting and frankly as competitive as it should be. In MMA, you get a lot more of that. There was a, there was a lesson I learned from someone who was teaching arm bars. It was a little dude. And he was like, what's going to win in a contest, your arm or my body? And he was sort of showing if he puts his whole arm or his whole body against my arm and he tries to break it, my arm can't win. It's a way to leverage size, um, uh, no matter what your size is, for maximum end. That's why Ronda's arm bars are amazing. Now, yes, you get the Amanda Nunes's out there who have significant punching power. But, dude, are people going to really sit? I mean, this sounds like I'm doing some kind of, you know, Archie Bunker bit, but I don't believe that's really fair. How many people can sit here and raise their hand and say, truly, that they get as much entertainment from the women's side of boxing as they do the men's, even when you have the elite side. I like Larissa Shields fighting. I certainly do. I respect her tremendously as an athlete. But the way in which that sport is structured, dude, it's not that exciting. Is that controversial to say? 
No, it, it does come off at first like a like a you know women's suffrage debate. But that, you're right, and I think the main point of why you're right is that women's boxing at the moment, even though it's going through a renaissance period, is still so largely underdeveloped. And when you have a sport that's underdeveloped, you don't actually have the best in the world competing at it. Or if you do, there's only a couple that are really the best in the world, and everybody else after that is so damn average. And when somebody is so damn average, they don't have a ton of power, they don't have a ton of dynamic, it's just a fight. So it doesn't mean that there's no that there aren't exciting women's fighters. There is. Doesn't mean that there hasn't been exciting fights. I mean, the Delphine Pursuit and Katie Taylor uh, two fights were fantastic, but you're right, Luke. Um, I'm just saying, you see, all, all I'm pointing out, out is, it's I a mean, look, look, it's also, last thing on this, it's a for-profit business. And the reason why it works in MMA is because women's MMA is fantastic. The open rule set and the way in which the body can be applied for violent ends in MMA, it just works, dude. It works really well. And so because people realize you can make money behind it, they've got much more open attitudes. If women's boxing was able to be that dynamic relative to the men's side, I think you see open attitudes there. But it just doesn't work in the way that it's supposed to. Yeah. And again, you know, that's, that's open not... The... Luke, Ronda opened the door, and I remember specifically like in the Carmouche fight when, when Ronda was in that face crunch submission, we were like, oh my god, if she taps, does that kill women's MMA? Well, it turned out she didn't tap. It also turned out that we were able to, um, they were able to, excuse me, put out such high-quality fights in the wake of Ronda, right? Creating the, the UFC women's strawweight division and seeing how across the board you have some great athletes. You're right. Deeper pool, better stuff. Look, Clarissa Shield has done so much in 10 fights. But there's a reason why so many of her fights, Luke, have been unifications and stuff. And you're like, how is she fighting for three or four titles in a different weight class every time? Well, it's because there just aren't a lot of great fighters. And sometimes there's a lot of vacant titles and they're just thrown onto her when she comes into a fight to make it even bigger. When, yes, the reality is the pool is not, it's so shallow. And the sport, comparative to the elements of MMA and women's MMA that can become pretty exciting, really exciting. And you know what happens on the ground and the cons. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're not, uh, just, you're not yeah, Archie I'm Bunker. Saying, you're right. I'm just, I know it sounds Archie Bunker to be like, but I, I like women's jujitsu. I think it's just as exciting as men's. In I mean, some you ways, made actually the, a little bit better. Oh, true. And you made the gymnastics comparison, but I think basketball might be the best one. Luke, I, there are times I live in Connecticut where UConn women are the you know, biggest thing oh, ever. The team of so teams. there's certainly times when I've gotten into UConn women or WNBA for certain seasons. But Luke, I think it's not wrong that there are is such a large male population, even to this day in 2020, that are like, the women's game is just not exciting enough for me. And it's not wrong to say that, right? You compare Listen, the I'm two. The first, if you look at the crime rates, who commits most crimes? Men. Men commit most crimes, including violent crimes, right? I'm the first person to admit the, the data just shows what it shows. But it tells you a lot about physical aggression and physical abilities. And if you're going to make rules for that and then try to adapt them for women in a, in where you're just throwing those hands, I don't know that it translates as well versus just opening up the rule set. And then it translates fantastically. It's not a comment on women or women's sports. It's a comment on that particular way it works in that rule set for that particular gender. That's it. That's all I'm suggesting to you. It's not women don't have a place or, or we shouldn't be as exciting. I'm just saying if people can make a buck off of something, they're going to have a good attitude about it. And there's a better way to make a buck off women's fighting. I think in boxing, again, I think that the gloves are way too big, but okay. Different question. By the way, you started time. this debate by using the term full-throated argument, and I can't get Rocco out of my head, so let's just get out of this topic <laughs> altogether. Okay. All right. VC, you know, I, 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 I won't eat crow, but I will say I was – because I still thought it would do well, but it did way better than I thought it would. 
Yeah. Dan Raphael of whatever site he's with these days. Uh, boxing scene. Okay, good. And Shouts to boxing scene. I don't know, you know. Shouts to boxing scene. Okay. Event, or excuse me, I should say, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. pulling in, apparently one, maybe 1.2 mil on the pay-per-view buy rates. Now, we knew we did really well just from a sort of a casual observation of interest. But then on top of it, um, you know, I will say this, BC. They sold it for 50 bucks. I wonder if they had tried to sell it for 75 how much that would have hurt it. But either way, it did extremely well, BC. Your response yeah, look, to, this is, to these great numbers. This is a separate argument from the one we had Monday, which was, was the pay-per-view actually entertaining? Did it make you want to watch more? The sales come in, obviously, before the show happens. So this is a monster success. Rayfield reported that it could be as high as 1.5 million, maybe even 1.7 due to some people's projections once all the receipts are tabbed. Let's talk about why this is massive. Um, the promotion was horrific. I mean, just horrific. And I, I really thought, Luke, the whole scare about will this be a real fight or will the commission get in the way would have killed it. But yes, at the end of the day, it is Tyson and it is Tyson returning from a 15-year absence. But Luke, I think the main reason why you and I were you know, dismissive of the odds of it going over a million. I think I said, you know, I could see it to it seven to 800,000 is because like pay-per-view is not in the healthiest place numbers-wise at the moment. People do have to realize when Manny Pacquiao and, and Floyd Mayweather were on that five-year road to fight each other, they both benefited so much from the fact that they never cashed in on that fight. And we were all just sitting here going, when are you going to fight each other? So each time Pacquiao would fight Margarito or Mosley and Floyd would fight Ortiz and Marquez, we're just hoping, okay, if they win, they're going to call out the other guy at the end of the fight. I got to see this, you know, blah, blah, blah. I hope they can not lose and keep the fight together. They were doing a million plus almost every time. The reality is, Luke... It's so hard to do a million plus. It was 10, 15 years ago, and it is even more now. Outside of, uh, let's be honest here, over the past five, 10 years, okay? Outside of Maymac, Maypack, and Floyd Canelo. Do you know the fights that have done over a million, Luke? Sort of, uh, you know, specifically the last five, six years? Golovkin, Canelo, one and two. Yes. And that's it. Luke, that's it. I mean, Cotto Canelo was a big fight for HBO pay-per-view in 2015. Puerto Rico versus Mexico, like, colliding. And it was a great promotion, and it still did, like, 800,000. And it's just that's where pay-per-view is. Specifically, that's where pay-per-view is after Maypack, which, if you remember, Mayweather-Pacquiao was the first fight to raise it up to 100 bucks, and it was the fight where, like, everybody had to see it after not watching a big boxing fight for years, and it didn't live up to people's expectations, blah, blah, blah that did sort of kill the market. You're telling me that two guys over 50, no matter their name value, and I guess the name value in this case was the reason why, but no matter their name value can come in here and draw over a million when pay-per-view is basically dead, Luke? And I say dead because how many times have you seen the last couple of years, Luke, whether it's Wilder or Spence or whoever's in the main event of a pay-per-view, Gervonta will find out they did three, four, five hundred thousand. We're like, that's a monster win in this yep. era, in this day and age. Dude, old man Tyson just did maybe a million and a half. That's insane, Luke. Okay, how much would a $75 price tag reduce purchases? 10, 20%? I, I can't, I mean, was that a major differentiator? It certainly had to help, Luke. But I don't think that was make or break. 
No, I don't think it's make or break. And again, who the hell knows what the answer is? I think you're probably right. Somewhere between 10 and 20%. But if it doesn't sell a million and it's 20%, well, now you're back at 800,000, the Canelo, uh, excuse me, the Canelo Cotto territory, right? So, like, how much of a, of a whopping difference would there be in that case? I think your point about boxing, boxing basically doesn't have many stars right now that can sell shitloads of pay per view buys. It's got plenty of TV fighters, plenty of those, but not so much you can sell pay per view buys. I just. Again, massive success, way more than I thought it would be. Totally underestimated it, and I'm willing to call it just as I see it. Still, it's just a curiosity for me. I really wonder what the relaxed pay-per-view price uh, means in the end. And look, even comparative to MMA, let's talk about that same time frame, the last five years. What has done big business outside of Conor or UFC 200? Like, you haven't seen a lot of million pluses, right? Uh, Ortiz Liddell, (laughs) three... It did 350 buys, right? Yeah. No, literally, 350 buys. And by the way, same pay-per-view price. I think it was just 50 bucks. Tells you a lot about yeah. that, doesn't it? It's, it's wild. I mean, look, okay, so that's Tyson. In a t- it, you can't overlook. T- Tyson is, a mo- is, is the reason, okay? At the end of the day, it is the reason. So, Luke, we talked on Monday about we both believe there is a market for all guy fights. We both believe the, the window could end up being short for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, eventually someone's going to get hurt or it's going to suck or whatever. But what could this do to the fight that everybody's trying to make now? And everybody being Evander Holyfield, putting out press releases and coming on the internet and all that. I mean, Holyfield, Tyson 3, even given what we know from Tyson Jones, that it was fun, but it wasn't a war. Dude, this fight is, is, is a bigger fight on paper. Right then, I mean, Roy Jones is great, but he was never a crossover mainstream star on the level that Holyfield was. And specifically with the look, look, it's the casuals that get a pay per view up to two million, right? It really is. That that's the market. It's the casual, no, dude, the, up to a million. Sorry, I mean, I don't think there's a million households are hardcore boxing fans. I mean, in some kind of general yeah. way, but to me, if you sell a million, you have crossed into casual big time. So casuals know the bite fight, Luke. This Tyson didn't. Tyson's performance was so surprising and good, even though it wasn't a war and there were no knockdowns, that I I have to believe. Uh, am I cr- can this do two million pay per view buys, Luke? Honestly, Tyson it Holyfield could, it three. Could, because here's the deal. I mean, think about something. If Roy Jones fought Anderson Silva, how well would that do in terms of pay per view? Probably pretty well. I don't imagine, and maybe you disagree, but I don't imagine it would sell anything close to this one. And so you have to ask yourself, why is that the case? One, Mike is still. Mike is a towering figure in boxing and in combat sports, too. Something that folks just don't really appreciate, the dude has remained relevant. Whether he is doing his podcast, or he's in The Hangover, or he's doing that one-man show, or whatever. You know, there's a roast where he's involved or something. Dude, Mike is just kind of always hanging around in a way where you notice him on major networks, opportunities, movies, whatever. He's he, Mike is everywhere all the time. There's this continuous fascination about him. He's got this weed business. I mean, people are fascinated with this dude. Roy Jones Jr. does not capture that same kind of attention, and neither does Anderson Silva, even if both obviously are, you know, when they competed, were legends of the game. So uh, you take that, plus maybe his most, I don't know if it's the most iconic fight, but one of his most, you know, iconic moments, bad or good, and you run that back again against the guy who was also part of that heavyweight experience in the 90s where heavyweight boxing was kind of the shit. It's like, how do you miss with that one? It's, it's wild. I mean, look, just the, just the simple element of this will be the first time they're fighting since the bite fight. Even though all of us 
fight fans know they've made up a million times and they're both ambassadors for the game and they love each other. Just that casual person that's like, the last time I cared about these two, the dude bit the dude's ear off and there was a brawl in the ring. Look, I mean, 2020 is so freaking weird. And obviously we can't get to this discussion of Holyfield Tyson trilogy maybe doing stupid numbers, maybe without having seen Tyson Jones first and waking up and realizing that the market is there. But Luke, at the beginning of 2020, if I would have told you <laughs> this year would play out the way it did COVID-wise, you'd think I'm crazy. If I would have told you we would have cared that much about Joe Exotic for some season, you would have thought I was crazy. And most importantly here, if I told you we would close the year on Morning Combat by saying, could Tyson Holyfield 3 in an exhibition when they're both old as shit <laughs> do 2 million pay-per-view buys? Luke, I mean, is that what's the ceiling on this fight? What is the uh, damn ceiling right now well, on this here's, trilogy? Here's the other part about it, dude. What fight was promoted worse than this one and did as well? Honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Usually to get over 1 million buys, you not only need the kind of headliners who can do that, you have to have a reasonably competent team who knows how to promote it. Could you imagine? 24-7, all-access showtime. You need one of those Bingo. vehicles that people care about. You know, Bingo. Dude, could you imagine if they actually promoted this correctly with like the right team, the right assets, the right media, the whole nine yards? Could it do three? I mean, that seems ambitious, but two, five? I, I honestly, at this point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all in and say two, five with the right promotion, I don't think is crazy. I really don't. Dude, if Tyson goes in there and, and he's in such great shape that it's not impossible, and let's say him and Holyfield put on a fun fight because they're both action guys, and let's say Tyson stops him. They're, like We talk about the redemption story and that angle from what Tyson well, got last Well, at age week. 50, I mean, come on. At that point, you know. I'm telling I, you, you this. Know, I, let's not get I'm telling you this. Remember, the, the key to George Foreman's comeback commercially, right, was – how much people, some people thought he was a con man in doing it. How much he charmed the American public. If you don't remember the 90s and George Foreman's comeback and you're only thinking about the knockout of Moore, which was the, the you know, the, the real turning point that allowed him to do that. Luke, George Foreman had a sitcom on ABC shortly after the Moore fight. I remember. He obviously had the, the grills line, which kept him so on the forefront of pop culture. But he was like a, I mean, he would come into the press conferences for his fights, Luke, with a tray full of cheeseburgers and laugh about how he was a grandpa and a senior citizen. Uh, could, could you see Tyson going so, like so far full circle that like, forget mentioning a rapist, like he, I mean, if, if he comes out of like, he was so nice after the Jones fight and so touched and given the money to charity and all that. What if he goes out there and fights Holyfield and some monster success and he wins? Could he have a, a an about face? Publicly now, look—he already had the about face to fight fans with the one-man show and all that, in turning his life around. But I'm talking about like mainstream. This guy could be the biggest, the biggest, uh, you know, star of 2021 if that's the case. I know, honestly, it's like—is there a reasonable possibility? A reasonable possibility that again, if promoted correctly, blah blah blah, Mike Tyson could be the biggest combat sports star in 2021. Is that a possibility? Wild. I don't know that, that it's the wild. likeliest one, but I, I couldn't discount it. I couldn't discount it, you know? You have to at least take it seriously as a as a as a as a contingent uh moment. Uh it's 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 it really speaks to his popularity. I don't think he can do a full reformation. I mean, he's tried the reformation thing all this time, and there are still some acts about his past you know, including um 
the you know he's a, he's a he's a felon, but I'm, I don't know if they're alleged rapes or you know whatever. The, 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 there are indiscretions in his past that he has very much apologized for, and there are some he has not. And to them, to critics, that makes him an unrepentant rapist. And I don't know that there's any way around that. To be quite candid with you, that seems well. Like... Well, look, let me pause you on that. Okay, what was the key pause. part about Ali becoming the the true? legend that he became that that you know went so far above sports went into you know well, he refused culture. To, when he refused to be drafted well no it was it was the turning it around late with all the philanthropy work and i mean he would you know they would send ali out to the middle east and try to do peace oh, oh, talks oh, oh. You, and mean, stuff. you mean you mean what got him on the good side i'm, I'm talking about yeah where so he when he went the, on the, the good side line. you weren't talking anymore about draft dodging about being a black panther about all these things that made 1960s and 1970s white America be like, this guy's a villain. I mean, look, you know, Ali was a villain for a long stretch to certain pockets of the world. And then he became everyone's hero and the ambassador for this sport. Tyson's on the fast track to doing that, Luke, where I really think it's going to get to a point where it's like, he's this lovable redemption story and character. Like, it, and it's wild to think about. And he's already had so many ups and downs and in, 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 in personal turnarounds that... There might be the biggest one possible for him. He's going to be your Ali for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. I'm a, I'm a little bit skeptical of that because he went to jail. Um, and, you know, you think about uh, other athletes who have gone to jail like Michael Vick. Michael Vick has made a pretty significant rehabilitation, right? He has he's on Fox. I don't know if he calls games, but he's certainly a studio analyst. And even then, there are people who just will not forgive him. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they're right or wrong. You know, it's everyone's decision about how they want to treat what he did, and then subsequently how he has tried to atone for it. It's a, it's a complicated debate. But I, the, the, the lesson I take from both Mike and Mike Vick is that rehabilitation is clearly possible, in some ways to a pretty strong degree. But to become America's dad, you know, there's a certain wholesomeness there that has to, that has to be there that I don't know that some of that baggage is ever going to quite get shed. I could be wrong. We'll see. I mean, here's the thing. If you can sell two five and you're still not America's dad, who gives a shit, <laughs> right? You're you're America's you know funny uncle. Oh, but you're still selling yeah, two yeah. five. I mean, who gives a fuck at that point? You know. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, Holyfield did put out a press release that said, "Quote Luke, my side tried to make the fight happen, and we got nothing but excuses. Now I can see why he wanted the tune-up fight before thinking about fighting me. There's a lot of back and forth here. Uh, you'd have to think the fight's going to happen. Mike seems to be interested, despite that quote." Yeah, um, also, I've seen Holyfield in person recently. He doesn't move all that sprightly. I'm a little, you know, take these uh, press releases with a grain of salt. Well, I mean, do you think this fight would be fun? It's not my thing, dude. It doesn't matter what I think. You're asking me, will it sell? I'll For sure it will sell. Will it be fun? Two guys in their fucking 50s? I mean, a hard pass, bro. Super hard pass. But Soft, come on. You got to soft pass me on that. It's a soft pass. Come on, Luke. All right, soft pass. Soft pass. Fine. Soft go. pass. Right. Um, but it's salty. not for me. It's just not, it's not, you know, it's just, it's, oh, Luke, let's play country music for your birthday. Nah, I'm good. You know what I mean? It doesn't, nah. it's not going to make me happy on my birthday. You know what I mean? Uh, all right, but okay. now let's go to the side of boxing that nobody likes, but is the most important, uh, important which is the actual side of boxing. This weekend, Errol Spence... <laughs> <laughs> and Danny Garcia fight uh, BC. Danny Garcia talking about being, you know, uh, in the shape of his life, how he's routinely underrated. Left hook Garcia out from Philly. He wants to make it happen. Set up this fight for everyone. What are you looking for and what is at stake? 
Dude, this is like in a weird way slipped under the radar. It's a Fox pay-per-view this Saturday at AT&T Stadium. Super under uh, the radar, spent, by the way. Super. Yeah, and it's a great fight on paper. And it's and here's the key storyline. And here's the key element why, why it's not only a great fight on paper, but it's elevated because of the unknown. Spence, unbeaten, has two of the four welterweight titles, putting them on the line against Garcia, former two-division champion, obviously uh, fantastic fighter, still in his prime at 32. But the key is Spence... Hasn't fought since October when he beat Sean Porter in that classic pay-per-view duel they had. And then two weeks later had that absurd accident, flipped his Ferrari a bunch of times, ejected from the vehicle, not wearing a seatbelt, you know, charged with DWI, yet uh, crazily, Luke, walked away with no broken bones. Needed a new set of teeth, had a bunch of scrapes and bruises, uh, but, you know, he went to the Cleveland Clinic to have his brain checked and everything is is kosher. He's coming in here on a 14-month layoff, no tune-up fight, Went through the quarantine like everybody else, and Earl Smith, Earl Smith is going right back in there for his third straight pay-per-view headlining it against a guy who, look, there's been some hate through the years for Danny Garcia. People put cherries on the Instagram, right? He fought Rod Salka. He, he got favorable scorecards against Mauricio Herrera and Lamont Peterson. I mean, look, there's been, but at the same time, Garcia's really damn good. And I think from a one-punch standpoint, I think he's the biggest puncher at welterweight. People give me so much shit for that. But that no-look left hook is absolutely brutal in both divisions. Um, he's in this fight because he can box, right? Same thing he did against Lucas Matisse many years ago when you and I were in Vegas for that Canelo Floyd fight. Now, the difference is Errol Spence ain't, you know, Lucas Matisse. It's a different hurdle here. But he's in this fight because he's patient, he's calm, and he's got an exit game in terms of power. Luke, just the questions alone of wanting to know whether Errol Spence can go through this life-changing thing and still be the same is without a doubt worthy of price of admission, as is what's at stake for the winner. They both, everybody wants Pacquiao. Sean Porter wants the winner. Uh, Keith Thurman wants the winner. I mean, there are no shortage. Terrence Crawford, there are no shortage of monster fights you can make, Luke. But it comes down to this, and I want to ask you this because it's the biggest storyline, and it's, it's wild to think either way. There's one scenario, Luke, where Spence will not be the same from this, whether it's a physically, mentally, or a combination of both. And this could end up being a tougher fight than we, than, you know, than the people favoring him expect. But what about the flip side? What about the fact that walking away from this accident, which he's called a miracle, he said he had angels, you know, protecting him. He was straight up drinking at a club. There were, you know, footage of it. He's driving a Ferrari with no seatbelt at extreme speeds in Dallas. I mean, like he was living a reckless life. What if this somehow makes him better in the long run? Because he admitted in the morning combat interview, you can watch it, where, you know, he was living out of control. What has he done since the accident? He bought a ranch and a farm. He's got horses. He's got his family there. He moved out of Dallas. Like, he is taking it seriously, living, breathing, sleeping, boxing. Um, Which side do you think that falls on? That he's worse off for going through that or somehow even better long term? Um. Tend to think better, right? Worse off, he would. If, I'd be a lot more concerned if he was doing the same kinds of things. Now, obviously, with you know bars and clubs and restaurants being closed or impacted in the way that they are, it has you know put a real hurting on the town drunk's opportunity to go to his local watering hole. But um, I think tend to moving out is probably a good thing. I'm not a big believer that the crash is majorly impactful. To be quite honest with you, I I think that it was a maybe a wake up call. Certainly scary. It required some hospitalization, but it didn't like shred his knees 
or his shoulders or his elbows. It didn't affect his mobility really in any kind of way other than for a very, very minor short amount of time. Caused some lacerations, but that's really about it. So that's scary, and that is real, and I take that seriously, and thank God he is okay, obviously. But it didn't, you know, this wasn't Alex Smith, or this wasn't Joe Theismann, or... You know, I don't know, somebody getting in a car wreck and then having to get their shoulder reattached. It wasn't any of those things where you not only have the trauma of the event, you have the physical trauma that you have to deal with. There was no videos of Spence learning how to walk again, you know, in some kind of hospital ward. It was kind of in and out, and then he made this switch. So to me, uh, I, I take the trauma of the accident seriously, but given how lucky he was, there's not much more to it than that. So the question is, like, what do you really expect from Danny Garcia? You know what's funny, man? I'm with you. Like, Danny Garcia can box his ass off. I looked at the odds. They're not too far apart. They've got Spence at about minus 400. Garcia about plus 300. Obviously, Garcia has that monster left hook. But you know what I can't find? I can't find anybody who, when it's other than, you know, Angel Garcia, Mr. Angel, I can't find anybody when it's time to say, which way are you going on this? I can't find anybody who's like, you know, I really got Garcia. You know, they, they take Garcia seriously as a potential threat, but only if something goes, like, calamitously wrong That's for fair. Spence. And I don't really see anybody be like, here is the case for Danny Garcia as the better boxer. That's just missing from the conversation. And so for those reasons, you have to think Spence is going to win. Well, Garcia does have, like, A-plus chin. He's got great power. He, he's a better boxer than you think. But yes, is he going to go out there and outbox Spence? Not likely unless there's knockdowns, right? Could right. he not? Could he finish Spence? Certainly it's, it's in play, but Spence is absolutely ripped, Luke, and, and ready for this physically that if nothing's wrong and the recovery of, of the layoff and the mental strain of the accident and all that. And look, what he said to me was uh, he doesn't remember any of it, Luke. He has no memory of the accident, no memory of the three weeks he spent in the hospital. His first memory is waking up at home the first day that he was brought home. And while, I mean, there's certainly something alarming in that, at the same time, Luke, I wonder if that has removed some of the the potential mental hurdles that could be there from this. You know what I mean? If maybe it was almost like a dream to him. And and now I mean, it's if, like, okay. Well, I'm just going to say, if he was doing what he was doing before... Why would go, why would be why would doing what he's doing now make it worse? Yeah, and okay, well, he hit. was starting to blow up between fights and get a little chubby, and we saw. Right. Look, when he walked in on, uh, you remember when Sean Porter beat Danny Garcia, and yes. Spence walked into the ring and said, "We good friends. I love your daddy. Let's get it on, dude." He was drunk as shit during that, and I remember like none of us really wanted to say anything on Twitter, and there was backstage interviews where he was slurring his words. I mean. He he said like this was the recommitment he needed to know that I need to be in shape all year long, which is obviously what the greats do to always be ready and to sort of clean up some of the you know I, I'm I'm walking on water I'm I'm a star I'm a stud type of thing. If he comes out there and boxes, look the Danny Garcia's biggest kryptonite, Luke, is he does not have elite level foot speed. So people like Lamont Peterson, people in the past have been able to, I mean, even Keith Thurman was able to use quickness to sort of outbox him. You got to have a big punch to keep him away. But if Spence decides to box and use his length, there, is, there are reasons to believe this could end up being a, a, you know, eight rounds to four clear and solid decision win for him. If he's back and he's ready, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be fun. I, I for sure think it'll be competitive. It's just like, what's the road to Garcia getting the majority of the rounds or 
you know, knocking him down or stopping him with strikes. Uh, you know, it's like I don't. Well, I, I don't know that I see a clear path for that. Let me just say this though: handicapping this fight is not really all that different from handicapping when Keith Thurman fought Danny Garcia in March of 2017. Almost sort of the same thing. Keith Thurman, a complete fighter in the same way Spence is. Quick, can box, has great power, all that. Um, Thurman came out and looked great against Garcia early, but you remember that fight, Luke. It was a split decision. Everyone's scorecard was basically 115-113 either way. Thurman tasted Garcia's power, and he sort of changed, and he got more defensive, and he left the back door open, and, and Garcia filled that hole, and he came on, and he rallied. You have to wonder uh, if there's potential in that. I think Spence has a better chin than Thurman and has more of a willingness to stand in there like he did against Porter. But I just wanted to say that to say I didn't think there was an avenue for Danny Garcia against Keith Thurman, even though I love that fight. And he made it pretty damn close. Well, the last time that Garcia has fought elite opposition, it was the Sean Porter fight, which was September of 2018. And then he fought Adrian Granados, who hasn't fought since that time. And then he beat he, Red he, Cat. He knocked, he knocked the stuffing out of Granados, and nobody does that. Okay. I mean, he beat I mean the shit out. okay, but he had seven losses heading into that contest. It's not like he was fighting a lot of, a lot of A lot of controversial decisions, but yes, it was it was not an A-plus win, yes. All right, and then he fought Ivan Redcatch. Now, we were there for that. We were working with Showtime, and that was a dominant performance by, um, by Garcia. But, you know, he was also getting booed by the end there a little bit because it went the full distance for a guy who was basically overmatched. Now, maybe that was a stay-busy fight. No, in fact, it was definitely a stay-busy fight, and he was fighting a little bit more carefully as a consequence. I'm just saying, the last time you've seen, like, a shining, like, Garcia at his absolute best against elite opposition, what would you say? Uh, Brandon Rios? Even then, a little bit. Uh, Rios Guerrero, a little Malinaggi, Peterson? Rios a little washy. Malinaggi was washy in that fight. Peterson was probably the last, and guess what? I, I had Peterson beating him. So, yeah, I mean, look, this is a point well taken, Luke. He's, he's a great elite B-side. He's, look, he was asked by uh, Mike Coppinger on the Athletic Podcast, like, if you beat Spence, is this, is this cement the Hall of Fame? And Danny was like, dude, I'm already in the Hall of Fame. And you know what, Luke? He's got one of those resumes where you're like, he has beaten a lot of big names. You know what I mean? Like, but, you're, but yet, to your point, when was the last straight-up elite foe that he beat straight up? Was it Lucas Matisse in 2013? Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. It's been a while. All right. Well, with that in mind, those are our top five. BC, it's time to have a little fun. What's been happening on social media, good sir? Hey, it is time for SJW Social Justice Wednesdays. It's an OJ Wednesday, of course, as well. And let's bring in the honorable one, Luke Bader Ginsburg. A lot of talk on the internet, Luke, whether this segment has run its course. But we're going to try to re resuscitate it, all right? Let's make Has it, it happen, really run okay? its course? I mean, you know, look, we're trying to figure out what to do with our Wednesday and Friday shows. Suck a dick, everybody. Yeah, all right. Well, look, there's been a lot of activity post-Jake Paul knockout of Nate Robinson. Everyone's getting involved, including Dylan Dennis, who was called out by Jake Paul following the knockout. So Dennis tweeted, you just fought a retired NBA reject. Be careful what you wish for, little guy at Jake Paul. Okay, so then Dennis tweets a, this photo of Jake Paul and writes, dance for me, bitch, at Jake Paul wearing the uh, Winnie the Pooh Tigger costume. No, okay, tigger, that's yeah. weird. And then uh, Gervonta steps in. How do we get here, Luke? He responds to the fan comments saying Jake Paul should have called out Gervonta, and he said he would have been to sleep next to Nate if he did that. Okay, all right. I mean, look, if you're Gervonta, Luke, you're not going to let you're not let a fan clown you about Jake Paul, right? I mean, you're, you're going to come out swinging. So then Jake Paul quote tweeted that with Dennis's name in it and said, 
I, at King Ryan Garcia, handle this light work for me. Talking about Gervonta. Ooh, okay. All right. Interesting shout out there. Then things got weird, Luke, because uh, <laughs> our old MMA veteran, Jose Canseco, has, has entered the conversation. He said, I will fight any one of the Logan brothers. They have enough for anyone with any type of talent yet or fighting skills. I don't think that's English, Luke. But Jose wants in. You remember that time he fought uh, Hong Man Choi, right? Yeah. I will fight any one of the Logan, any of the Logan brothers. They have enough for anyone with any type of talent yet or fighting skills. Jose, <laughs> yeah, buddy, Tito having Ortiz, problems at home? Did Tito Ortiz concoct that tweet for him, Luke? All right. Uh, sorry, I'm all tied up here. Uh, so then it continued to get weird because Logan Paul quote tweet. And by the way, isn't um. I found out this afterwards that Logan Paul used to sleep with Jose's daughter. Because here it comes. Logan Paul quote tweeted and said, no problem. Okay, that's a I good love, one. I love smashing Kinseikos. Luke, that's A-plus work right there. Judge, can okay. you weigh in on all right. that? All, all of this has been unbearably stupid up until this point. And this is equally <laughs> stupid, but that's a nice thing. Okay, very good. Uh, well, hey, Luke, we got Daniel Cormier. Somehow he joined this. Uh, he posted an image with a caption of Dennis and during the DC and Helwani show at ESPN, I heard it's a popular fight podcast. He said, Connor beats Jake Paul in a boxing match, but Jake Paul beats Dylan Dennis. Dylan does not need to fight Jake Paul because he'll get beat up. Wow. All right. I mean, we said the same thing on our show, Luke, more or less, but DC brought it, brought it straight and direct. Uh, well, Dylan Dennis didn't like that. So he came back and quote tweeted DC and said, watch that fat mouth before I shut it with a little bit of uh, Photoshop in there. Um, okay. Dude, is Dylan Dennis the absolute worst? I mean, he might be. I love him. I love him. I don't care. I love him. And I, and he, and, and he sucks. And I love that. I love, I love the troll in him. Well, DC ended the, the debate with a quote tweet saying, Dennis, sit your ass down before I called Jake Paul for you. <laughs> oh, DC, get his ass. Uh, that is yeah. great. All right, so uh, uh, let me adjudicate this one. Your winners here by absolute first round KO. Logan Paul for the Canseco's line, and then Daniel Cormier. Everyone else, including Gervonta being a loser in this one, because, Gervonta, why are you bothering with these, you know, vermin? These, these, yeah. these leeches. They're not even in the same... I mean, it is insulting to even consider them of being in the same profession. Please don't do that to yourself. Uh, you know, no, no need. Uh, but that, that zing from Cormier was fucking hilarious. That was great. That made my day. God bless All right, Judge, Cormier. What an American. Judge Luke Bader Ginsburg, we need you to weigh in here, not on who won, but trying to decipher what these tweets mean on Social Justice Wednesday. Uh, this morning, manager of the stars, Ali Abdelaziz, came out uh -oh. and tweeted... GSP with triple I emojis. Luke? Okay. All right. Is that, that's it? I, I want you first, knowing that, that Habib's going to meet with Dana, what's Ali doing right here? He's stirring some shit up, right? Stirring some shit up. But, you know, it's hard to tell if he's reacting to something or if he's trying to create something to react to. You know what I mean? He is a, he is a smart man in that regard. Well, Conor McGregor saw that, I'm guessing... And he, he fired off the next few tweets here. He tweeted, shitty jocks. Okay. Then he tweeted, 
you can run, but you can't hide. This is all this morning. And then Connor ended with, don't be scared, homie. Are these two things related, Judge Ginsburg? Didn't Habib also say, I've choked out Dustin and Connor? Why would I want to fight either of them? I think yeah, he did say I mean, that. I, I, I have to assume this is all related, right? It has to be, right? It has to be. But, like, why would you put the first two not in quotations? But then the third one, you would. Now, I get it. It's Nate's line, or it's it's uh, Nick's line. Whoever said it anymore, I can't remember. But it's the Diaz brothers' line. Why would you put in quotations? I get that you're attributing it to them, but you're applying it for your own ends. I wonder if that's a reference to Nate saying he slapped Habib and Habib did nothing about it. I don't know. I, maybe, Whatever. Maybe. I don't know. Here's This is why I don't follow any of these people on Twitter. This is This is why. This, all right, we'll, we'll see if this segment lives another day. But that's your uh, that's your social justice for the week, Luke. Uh, let's get into a segment that always wins every all Wednesday. Right. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's it's called fan submissions. So here's what you need to do: DM me, hit us up at morningcombat at gmail yeah, Can I say something very quickly? Don't hit me up. I'm not the guy. Send it to BC or morningcombat at gmail Don't send it to me, please. Yeah, yeah, I'm the one, the one you love. Uh, so please send that to me. Uh, so this is, if you don't already know, your artwork, uh, your submissions wearing our merch, whatever you want to do to join our community and get on the show. Let's kick it off here, Luke, with uh, Scott M. Rizzo. This guy's making some moves lately, Luke. <laughs> Scott R. Scott? I don't think it's Scott R. This is Scott Rizzo. Yeah, yeah, that's our guy. Uh, <laughs> we got the Luke's house. So what makes this great is you and I are the handsome, uh, you know, darlings here of the early 80s, which was my favorite show as a kid, without question. And yes. our boss hog is Dana White with the, uh, with the cigar, which is hilarious, Luke. So we, you, you and I are Bo and Luke Duke. By the way, you look like a Paul brother, if ever <laughs> there was one. You actually look like the dude that plays, uh, is that uh, Tom Schneider or something? Or, no, I, got no, the name I look like it. some 1980s forgotten... You know, C-list porn actor yeah. uh, in desperate need of a barber, and then you got, uh, you got you know, where's Roscoe Pico train? Where's all these guys? But this is yeah. fucking hilarious. Well, Scott Rizzo was also working hard. Luke, he picked out an obscure moment from our documentary, uh, MK: The Return to the Studio, because he couldn't take his eyes off one part of. The- <laughs> so look, you know, I, I, I did even, feel- I even. I even mentioned this luggage to you. Let me guess. Rather than buying a normal piece of luggage and then putting some kind of like, you know, sticker on it or some kind of identifying marker so you could easily get it at baggage claim, your idea was let me go and rip out the carpet in a Motel 6 and use it to make <laughs> luggage so that it is also identifiable at baggage claim. So I've had a few times where this became embarrassing that I have this in public. Why do I have this? My wife loves purple, and she thought, let's pick out a bag that will be easily seen on the baggage carousel. You're correct, Luke. Um, So this has become my travel bag. I get some dirty looks, and I always forget, like, hey, maybe this bag's lame. I shouldn't travel with it. Well, then our folks at the MK did a long shot to end the documentary on that bag for some reason. So, uh, yes, it was distracting, Scott Rizzo. I need manlier, I need manlier man bags, but yeah. I mean that is that. I mean this is you know the good news is it's Bill Cosby pre rapist, but the bad oh, news okay. is it's Bill Cosby. 
Oh, wow, that caught me. You caught me, off. you caught me off guard there. All right, well, speaking of the Campbell family, Luke, um, uh, what do we got next? Oh, yeah, this oh, is my dad. Shit. That's my dad, Bro. Chris Campbell in Florida. Uh, he Bro, was this gifted. is your pops? Yeah, so he already owned MK merch because he's my dad and he loves me. But somebody gifted him for his birthday with this MK sweatshirt. So he's wearing it to show it off. But look, as I was looking at him, I'm like, are you on the road to becoming my dad? I mean, is this like looking in the mirror? You know what? I'm not too far away from that. Uh, I typically don't wear the black jeans with the black uh, sweatshirt. My but dad I gotta wears say, black jeans and black motorcycle t-shirt every day of the year. You know what? God bless this fine American. Uh, I gotta <laughs> say though, not too far <laughs> apart. Now, I am going to get a haircut later today, but not too far apart. Jesus Christ. Your pops, he got some thick ass fingers too. Look at those, look at those Vienna sausages. God damn. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a big dude. Yeah, uh, shout out to, to 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 pops right there. Bro, your uh, dad and my dad do not look the same. Uh, well, yeah. that's not quite yeah, true. Gotta, my dad's got a beard and gray hair and all that kind of stuff. Will we ever get fan submission Robert Thomas wearing the MK gear? Will it ever happen? You'll find the cure to cancer before you ever get that. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's get weird here, Luke. Uh, Todd M. has a very accurate <laughs> representation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Luke, let's. Uh, you and I, <laughs> our old guy, sitting on the toilet. What do we have? What do we have in our possession? Forties. All right. We got some forties. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this. The, and maybe this is unintentional, but the empty 40s are the plastic variety, and the ones that are filled have glass. I know we had a conversation about that briefly. Yes. Um, did we talk about playing Battleship on the toilet? I don't recall. No, but that is hilarious. Uh, we both have laptops on our laps, if you are only hearing the audio version, and I'm exclaiming, I sunk your battleship. And it says toilet combat in the in the. By the way, look at the here, O. So. Look at the O there. It's uh, almost like the Oregon O. I'll say this. I used to play Battleship with my brother when I was a kid, and I cheated on that game more than, you know, a pro athlete in the NBA cheats on his wife went on the road. I, wow. He would be like, oh, C7, which would be directly on one of my ships, and I would just put the red pin in one of my ships but then not tell him it was, <laughs> it was actually – it was actually one of his things. And I would sink like all of his ships but one. He'd be like, dude, how have I not hit any of your fucking ships? And I'd turn it around and it would be all my ships all sunk. I just wouldn't say <laughs> I just wouldn't say anything. Is, shit. Is this a direct reference to Harold and Kumar? Was that the movie with the I sunk your battle shit? Uh, Maybe. Uh, I've only seen the Harold and Kumar Christmas special. I've not seen the other one. The real one. Oh, I, I, I rocked it on the airplane a couple months ago uh, uh, after a couple gummies. It was fantastic. It's still, it's still, it's still absolutely. It holds okay. up. All right. Uh, let's, let's roll on here. It wouldn't be MK Wednesday without our guy Dickles, okay? So here is a play on the uh, movie, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. It says, I Now Pronounce You Morning Combat. Uh, well done. I can't read what? what it says below our names. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I can't either. Gaff? They're as they straight, straight as can as be, can... but tell no one. You All know, right. BC, I recently re uh, saw this movie on Netflix. Uh, they dropped the six-letter F word several times in this movie. Not, not as progressive I as I thought. I haven't seen it yet, Luke. I haven't seen it. But, uh, it's funny. Well it's done funny. there. Uh, Dick Calls is back. He sent us this edit 
from the movie True Lies, Luke. Are you Jamie Lee Curtis? Yes, that's a great scene, by the way, an epic scene. I'm Jamie Lee Curtis dancing, remember when she was undercover, and you're Arnold in the shadows sitting in the corner. That is gross. She was pretty hot in that scene, Luke, okay? Yeah, that was, that, was, that was peak Jamie Lee Curtis. Jesus Christ, this yeah. is gross. Yeah, they just think really that the gross. camera turns off and we just bang. I don't understand that. No, 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 no. It's probably more likely, Luke, that we fight, right? I mean, how what, what is yeah. the what is the shelf life of, of this show and our on screen uh, relationship? It's it, well, we're going to test it, right? We're going to put it to the test. Oh, I think it'll. I mean, as long as they keep paying us, it'll last a while. Well, like I said, said, it will eventually flame out, but I just don't know. And it won't be soon. So you think it'll flame out before we fade away? Is really where you're going with that? All right, uh, yeah. Luke, uh, we got another one here. Um, I think this is Dick Holes again with an Orchids of Combat meme. <laughs> it's uh, you and I knocking on the door of the studio from the documentary with a nice Orchids of Combat sign on it. And then it says moments later, there's a couple weird O faces going on there, Luke. Yes. What are, are you holding towels? Um, I got an umbrella there. That's an umbrella. And I've got but, a yes, towel I, over my shoulder. Yes, those are towels edited in by Dickles. Uh, we I don't know much about this man, but he's uh, he's in the Web Scream Hall of Fame, so I'll give him credit. Now this is fantastic. This is work. you know what again, just two dudes exploring sexuality in their forties, apparently. <laughs> and we'll end with this, Luke uh, Dickles. I believe created a uh, a video of all Campbell of my rants. Can we play? If you this shot case? me right here through my heart. You'd still be able to see through my ISO cam what I'm all about. Fucking fighting. Yeah, I'm the sauce. You know, bro, you're just a... In the end, you're an important piece of meat, but, you know, you're an unseasoned dead animal at the end of the day, all right? What Luke doesn't understand is that if you don't season beef correctly, it's just a dead animal. And while, you know, Luke may bring, like, um, you know, He's an ex-Marine sergeant. He may bring a powerful presence. He may bring a, a you know, a fandom, an established, you know, audience. But oh my God, he's just a piece of meat at the end of the day. If, if I'm not throwing that pepper on top of that steak, you know, he's just another carcass. <laughs> you, you need psychological counseling. Oh, that's well done. Like the meat. That is so well good. Done. That is- Oh, look up the damn sauce. That is so well done. Wow. Dude, that is, that is. They should have made you as like Salt Bay, right? Doing the. Yeah. Thing. That was uh, fantastic. That is so. Dude, that, this guy Dickles, man. I'm telling you, him and Scott, what was it? Scott Rizzo or whoever it is, Scott R. Yeah. They are, they are quite the talents. Quite the talent. They're very uh, prolific. Yes, they're fantastic. Well done. Thank you to all the fans. Uh, Morningcombat at gmail.com if you want to join the party. Um, I know we got people working on new theme songs for us. Uh, we got a lot of, lot of good stuff going on. As we well. do? All right. Yeah, people hit me up all the time. They're telling me the stuff they're going to work on. I mean, the, people, they love this, Luke. They love this thing, okay? We're, gonna, we're, we're willing to give it to you more than three times a week. MK all day, nearly every day. So that's the All story right. there. So let's plug it real quick. Tomorrow, 3 p.m., my live chat is back. It'll, of course, be right here at Morning Combat. Secondly, BC will be on NBC Sports. BC, what time does the broadcast start? 9 p.m. Eastern, live from the parking lot of the famed Wild Card Boxing Club in Los Angeles. 
Yes. Are you going to have gloves on again like a weird murderer? <laughs> I will try to remove them this time and see if I can pull it. The commission, they're, they're on us, Luke. They're on us, okay? I can believe they're it. Honest. I can believe it. Uh, all right. So if you would like to get more Showtime and various other things, you can go to Showtime.com. 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. Let's see. Uh, merch like this. Mugs, hats, cups, blah, blah, blah. Christmas, not too far away. Go ahead and get in on it. You can go to store.show.com. We are on social media as well. BC and I are both on Twitter and Instagram, as is Morning Combat. Morning Combat is consistent, same name, all the way through from YouTube to Twitter to Instagram. For us, it tends to vary, so take a screenshot there, and then you can find us. Uh, but please you know, follow, like the video, hit subscribe, and then follow us on social media. And, of course, BC plugged it, morningcombat at gmail.com, because we need your submissions for Dead Wrong, which we'll do on Friday. What did we get wrong Either one of us, let us know. Uh, send us an email and make sure it's correct, please. Double check your work, huh? Your algebra. Because I'm okay? dirty deeds. Oi, 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 dirty deeds. I'm dynamite. Dirty deeds. All right, all right, all right. I all win right, the right. fight. Listen, let me read to you my Hall of Fame list and then shut the fuck up, all right? Do that. The uh, Hector Camacho documentary will be on Friday. We'll have more interviews with that, I believe, out today from the director with BC. So be on the lookout for it. Plus the Poirier interview, Spence, Garcia, lots of stuff oh, out I, there. Please take I'm going to be chatting with uh, with uh, Sean Porter today for Morning Combat. He's across the hall in the hotel room working with me on the NBC show. He fought both Garcia and Spence, obviously, so he'll be an interested spectator in Saturday's pay-per-view, maybe fighting the winner. So look for that, Luke. Look for, look for it all. Just keep looking. You're going to find it, all right? All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, BC, enjoy your broadcast. Be safe. We'll see you tomorrow on television. I'll see you guys tomorrow right here at Morning Combat for my live chat. For everyone at Malka and Showtime, that's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.